And I want to take you through a message on building a strong church in dangerous times. That's what we want to do, amen? We want to build a strong church in dangerous times. That's what Jesus wants to do. And so he wants to build a strong church. Sometimes churches can be dangerous. How many of you know that? Some of you may have been in dangerous churches, toxic churches, right? Let me tell you a story about uh, uh, in 1910, there was a fellow named George Went Hensley uh, of White Oak Mountain in Tennessee, and uh, he was convinced, he had an experience up on a mountain, and uh, his experience was based on Mark 16, and uh, he had such a revelation of the Holy Spirit that he believed, according to Mark 16, these signs shall follow them that believe. They shall speak with new tongues, they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover, and uh, uh, they, uh, you know, will preach to all nations. And, and then it also says what? It said this, that uh, they shall take up serpents, and if any dead, drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And, and he felt, well, that must be a sign that continues on uh, in, in this age of the church. And so he developed uh, the snake handling church. How many of you ever seen or heard about that? You know these fellas that, uh, that part of their activity you know, not only is the sign of being filled with the Spirit and the power of the Holy Ghost is speaking in tongues, but it's also snake handling. That's what Mark said. So, so he started implementing that in his church, you know, early in 1910. And what's happening is, what was interesting is that kind of demonstration of faith where you're picking up rattlesnakes and all kinds of crazy things and you're not dying and, and sometimes getting bit and not dying. It's like, whoa, there's faith. It began revivals interestingly enough, but the revivals weren't so much based on the snake handling, but the faith that it took to handle those things. <laughs> so they figured if you got faith to pick up a snake, you got faith to heal me. So people started coming into the Ozark Mountains and all the different uh, uh, areas of the Appalachian region, and uh, churches started popping up where you could go to the snake church. And uh, so they, they, it became so popular that, in fact, the churches of God endorsed it. So, you know, people went and they were waiting uh, during the worship hour when they'd work up such a place uh, of uh, excitement and, and faith and so forth, they'd start picking up snakes. Now, I don't know about you, but in that picture, this guy's got one arm, so I don't know if I'd be picking up a snake. He's got... <laughs> there was only one problem with this movement. People started dying. And uh, from uh, this thing went on from 1921... To 2006, it's still going on right now. Um, uh, you can Google it, and, and uh, if you want to go, you can. Uh, <laughs> but uh, between that time, there was about 90 documented deaths. Those are the documented ones. I don't know how many undocumented deaths there were. But people were getting bitten and dying. And uh, but they went back to the scripture and said, "Well, it, it says in Mark 16 that they shall take up serpents." semicolon. It doesn't say, and it shall not hurt them till after it says they drink deadly things. So they were satisfied to say, we can pick up serpents. We didn't say it might kill us or not. So they kind of worked with their doctrine there. But what they really focused on was the fact that they had a lot of faith to do this because they were facing death. And they were willing to face death. And it did something in them. Okay, well, don't worry. I'm not like trying to... Uh, activate that verse here in that sense basically what that verse is trying to say and simply saying is that there's going to be supernatural help 
to the people, to the children of God in, in their efforts to evangelize the world. Uh, it's not a given on every situation that you're going to be delivered out of it, but there'll be supernatural help in times that God will do that. And, uh, but what I, what I really wanted to focus on is that going to church can be dangerous. You can get bit. How many of you know that? You can get bit going to church, and uh, it can be dangerous. Would, would you turn to our text tonight in 1 Thessalonians 5? And I want to go over this passage of Scripture for us to understand not to be afraid to go to church. If we started handling snakes, you'd be afraid. Some of you are afraid anyways just because there's other people here. Sometimes a person's bite is harder than a snake bite. At least the snake was just trying to defend itself. 1 Thessalonians 5, we're going to start at verse 12. And what I did is I'm going to break down this passage of Scripture. I'm taking a few things out of order because of the context of what he's trying to say. What he's trying to say at the end of this letter to the Thessalonian church, which, uh, which is amazing to me because that Thessalonian church was developed in a matter of three weeks. When you do a study on Thessalonians, it says, he, I was with you for three Sabbaths, and then he had to leave. you imagine birthing a church in three weeks? Establishing leadership, eldership, and a congregation in three weeks? That's pretty crazy, isn't it? But he had to declare to them how to have a good church in dangerous times. And so what he does is he begins to list how to have a healthy church in dangerous times. And in verse 13, at the second part of the verse... He says, I want you to be at peace among yourselves. So what we're looking for is peace in the church, shalom, order. The word for peace in the Hebrew understanding of things, I know this is New Testament, I know that's a Greek word, but we're talking about a Jewish writer. A rabbi Paul is saying, we want shalom among you as a people. And the word shalom is not just quietness, not just a happy time, it's an order. Hebrew sense of peace is an ordered life, things that have uh, God's supremacy in them and an ordered understanding of our priorities. And uh, authority over chaos brings what? Peace. If you want to have peace in your life, you need power. If you have no power, you cannot maintain peace. You need to understand this. And the power you have is the power of the Holy Spirit. If you want to have power over chaos, you have to have the power and the authority of the Word of God to bring that chaos into submission to the rule of God. In your household, if there's no peace, somebody's not in charge. You see what I'm saying? There needs to be order. And so what he says is, I want to build a strong church, the church at Thessalonica. You need to be strong, and I'm going to give you ways to make your church strong. So I want order or peace among you as a people. And he says, now I'm going to list for you how that's going to happen. And we go back to verse 12, and he starts off with leadership. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and those who admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. All right, so first off, if you want peace and you want order, you have to respect the powers that be. Does that make sense for you? 
right? We're in a nation right now where anarchy is rising. There is no respect for civil government and civil leadership because civil leadership, governmental leadership, is starting to do its own thing. It's breaking down from its checks and balance points and starting to go rogue and do what it wants to do. And, and we're seeing it in levels of government and authorities. And what that breeds is an unsettledness to where there becomes an anarchy spirit and people are not respecting leadership. So what's going to break out? Chaos. This is just the nature of things. And so in a church, if you're going to have order, if you're going to have peace, you need to respect the authorities over you, okay? Believe me, I'm not preaching this message tonight with some kind of uh, issue. Uh, in fact, things are great, okay? Everything's good, folks, don't worry. I'm not troubled, all right? We don't have any anarchy and we're not in the middle of a split or anything like that. There's no problem. That's why I have the liberty to preach this so freely. Um, I've got no, no beefs, no squawks with anybody to, to pick on over this. So I'm not preaching to an issue. I'm just giving you the sense of what it's going to take for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in these days to have unity and peace. We need to begin respecting the, the authority and the leadership structure that God put in the church. I've given some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, the fivefold ministry, giftings, and those ecclesiastical orders of elders and deacons to operate properly. Now, we're not saying that those in leadership are perfect. We're not saying that they get it right all the time. That's not the issue. The issue is a respect for the office. Amen? Okay, that's hard. I understand. That's hard for Americans. You know, like we're all about that rugged individualism. No one's going to tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. And the devil just plays on that. He loves that. He, he loves to make sure that nobody's in submission. Right? We can't even have submission in the household. Uh, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Oh, no. Again, that's why a lot of our households are out of order. There's so much chaos because nobody is respecting the authority so that we can get an order structure back in our lives. And so in the church, he's saying this. He's saying, respect those who labor among you. First of all, I think that's a good sign for leadership. They labor where? among you, not above you. They don't put you under their feet. They're not squishing you. They're not, they're not uh, uh, commando Nazi leaders, all right? But they're laboring among you. They're with you. They're walking hand in hand. They're asking you to do things. They may admonish you, but because they have to oversee your life and are over you in the Lord. Now, that's an important statement. Nobody is over you outside of the Lord in, in the sense that, hey, look at I'm better than you are. That's why I'm the pastor. I'm better than all of you people. If that's the attitude, you need to run because that's out of order, all right? Now, in the Lord, I've been given a position that I have to watch out over you. doesn't make me any better than you. I'm, I'm, as, I'm as messed up as you are. Makes you nervous, doesn't it? That's why you got to pray for me you got to pray for me. The first five, it's funny, you know, I've been doing this 24 years now. I look back, the first five years, it was like, that was for me. I had to learn. You know, you don't know what to do and this and that, but, but you grow and you learn. So all I'm saying is leadership, good leadership that you should respect and then honor is that the leaders are among you 
And then secondly, they're over you in the Lord, right? Uh, uh, Ephesians 5.21 says that we are to submit one to the other in reverence to the Lord. So our submission one to another is based in a reverence or a worship or a respect for the Lord, okay? So if you want a, a, a peaceful, ordered church, you should have strong leadership that people love and appreciate. They esteem them, all right? Um, and, and I feel the esteem from people. And, and how is the esteem supposed to come? What is the basis of that esteem based on the Scripture? Yeah, in love, right? Esteemed in love. Again, that's, that's the heart of it. And, and uh, that's important. Let me read to you Hebrews 13, 17. The writer of Hebrews says the same thing. It's that important. Obey your leaders, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Why would it be no advantage to the people who are under that leadership? If you've got a groaning, grumbling leader over you, that don't feel good, does it? you got to sit and listen to this guy bellyache all the time, right? Or come down on you or have some, uh, uh, I don't know, I've been in churches where the, the pastor was preaching a sermon because of the last meeting he had with his elders, and that's what he was preaching, so that they'd swing the vote his way. You know, that, that kind of stuff's goofy, and you don't need that. So, so uh, what he says is if you have a right relationship between leadership and those who are submitted to that leadership, it will go well with the group. And, and I'm happy to say, all is well. It's going well. It's because we honor each other. We love each other. And uh, we help each other. So you want peace. So that's what Paul's saying to the church at Thessalonica. Listen, uh, you need to be a unified body. And if you're going to have unity, you need to listen to the head. It, they're watching over you. They're praying. They're seeking God. The decisions they're making are their best efforts with the Lord and seeking God's anointed on that. You pray for them so that when they get a word and they deliver it, it bears witness with you and you can walk with it and you're in agreement moving together. And, and I think that is where you're going to get peace and unity in the body of Christ. Amen? Now, that's one of the reasons why it can be dangerous in a church. It can be painful in a church because the leadership, something's happening to it. I think we've all been there. Have you ever been there? Anybody been there where you, you begin to see and feel something's going askew with the leadership and you're feeling it in this pull spiritually and, and it can harm churches. And uh, so uh, I've been through church splits, I've been in that place, and it's painful. And younger on in my days, I had my righteous indignation, and I was going to stand, and, and I realized that that can do as much damage as anything else. And uh, so with maturity, we, we learn how to handle these things. So let's go on to the next step, and this is what he says, and he lists now uh, a number of things, and he says, you need to interact. You want a healthy church? We need interaction. Folks... This is really important. It used to be, this was a church in Thessalonica, so this is the city church. All the believers who were in that city went to this church, okay? But uh, uh, what happens today, remember the, we used to have the community church. This is Christ's community church, but our community is pretty big. Many of you drive in. We're a commuter church. 
Folks are driving in from 8 Mile um, to the west side. Uh, folks all the way out in the Burbs past 16 and, and, and all different places coming in. And we're not that community church anymore. So we come in, get the word, and we go home and we don't interact. And uh, we need to interact. Interaction is essential to build a strong church. And in these days that we're in, we need to interact more and more. Now that, again, is where you can get bit. You can get hurt. Anytime you interact with people, you're in dangerous waters. <laughs> How many of you noticed that? How many of you noticed the trend to isolate more and more and more? It's easier to isolate more and more because we've got more toys and more gadgets to sit at home and play with and just do our thing. Right? We don't even have to talk on the phone verbally to people. We just text them. So, I mean, you can go an entire day with no contact with people, but you think you made contact by texting and writing and viewing and this and that, but there's been no interaction. And that's killing the church. It's literally killing the church because the Holy Spirit wants a body, and a body must function together. It must communicate. It must learn to talk. And we've really got to get this message across to the next generation We've got to break down generational walls. We've got to talk to each other. We've got to communicate because the body of Christ is a communicative body. It has to talk. It has to pray for one another. We're not going to pray for one another, right? It has to, well, let me take you through these things he says, what you have to do. He, uh, he says the interaction, I urge you then, brothers. When, when, he, when Paul says urge, what do you think he means? I'm, I'm really telling you, you need to do this. You, this is serious. Yeah, you've got to get this going. He says this, admonish the idle. All right, now the King James says, warn the unruly. All right, so as a body, we're a family. And so as a family, we have to start kind of encouraging and admonishing one another. All right, brother, I noticed, you know... Uh, Hey, I was out on Gratiot last week, and I saw you coming out of a bar. What's going on, man? Where you at? What's, what's going on? Hey, man, you're not the boss of me. I'm your brother. I'm here. I love you. What's going on? Are you in trouble? Is there problems? Are someone's weeping in worship? Wow, are you okay? What's going on? See, but this says admonish the, un, uh, admonish the unruly or the idle, people who are not doing anything, people who are on that fence and so forth. Challenge them. Oh, hey, man, don't judge me. Right, we get this, and this is this is where the body's got to mature a little more in this thing. We got to come together. We get all we get offended. Who you think you are talking to me like that? Well, I just want to talk in love. I, I want to present. It's the way you present it too. Don't come off all Pharisaic on them, but say out of concern and love. I, I need to admonish you. Where you been? I'm losing track. Yeah, I'm missing you. I bet every one of you could think of two or three people that are missing right now. You haven't seen them. They're missing. And so you're wondering, why hasn't the pastor called them? It's your job. Paul isn't saying, make sure the leaders admonish them all. You do it. The church, the body's supposed to do this, okay? Hey, I half the time I call someone, they go, Pastor, I'm sorry, I wasn't there on Sunday. I'm not calling about that. <laughs> Everybody thinks I'm checking up whenever I call. No, I was just praying for you. I'm sorry, I'll be there next week. Okay. But it means a lot when someone say, hey, you know what? I haven't seen you about two or three weeks. Because I want you to know the enemy is on them. He's on them. 
No one cares about me. I haven't been there in a month. No one even calls. Nobody cares. And so continue to admonish, encourage. Hey, man, where have you been? What's going on? So do that. That's the job. He's saying we need to interact that way. We need to care that way that you could encourage someone. And then next he says, encourage the faint-hearted. You know when someone's faint-hearted. We prayed for the faint-hearted tonight. We prayed for those who are down. We prayed for those. We'll be in worship services, and there'll be people at the altar weeping and crying. There'll be people next to you, and, and you can tell they're going through a lot of tissue on this Sunday. They're doing a lot of crying. What's going on? You, you don't realize. You know, it's all right. Sometimes you don't have. We, we get afraid to do something. We don't know what to say. You don't have to know what to say. Put your hand on their shoulder and just 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 pray for them. Say, it's all right. I'm praying for you. It's all right. Just hold them. Just hug them. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to solve the problem. Just care for them. All right? Just encourage them. I want to encourage you. I have encouraged people on many occasions with really not much to say. I, you know, hey, you're looking good. That looks, you look great. Really? Wow, I haven't been feeling good, but I, I'm getting better. Hey, yeah, you look good. Okay. Means the world to them. Well, encourage them. We need, the body has to encourage each other. In these days, we're being attacked, we're being devoured, we're being cut down by everybody. The church needs to encourage. Well, pastor, how do I admonish and encourage? Easily. You admonish them, then encourage them to do it. Works. Help the weak. Help the weak. This is really simple stuff. I mean, do I need to explain help the weak? I do. Okay. Well, there's people, weak means without strength. Weakness, either physically, emotionally, economically, uh, spiritually weak. So what do you do? You come to their aid. How can you come to their aid? If it's economically, give them some cash. Help them out, right? If they're not working, admonish them to get a job. <laughs> admonish the idol. <laughs> Just, it all works together. Uh, if they're weak spiritually, help them. Uh, uh, send them a card with a Bible verse in it. Uh, give them a call and say, hey, I was praying for you, and the Lord gave me a prophetic word for you. See, prophecy does three things, which blesses the weak. It what? Encourages, what? Edifies and comforts. That's what Jesus is about for his bride. He is, Jesus is about uh, uh, bringing his bride through encouragement up to the next level. So that's how you can help them. Begin to prophesy over them. Uh, the, the Lord has good things for you. And begin to bless them in those encouraging words. Then he goes on and he says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. All right? Now another idea behind that is the law, or an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And look, at once a month, we recalibrate ourselves. We come to the communion table. We come to that table of blessing, the, the Eucharist, and we remind ourselves that God forgave us. How could I take this meal unworthily? And the only way you can take it unworthily is if you're holding unforgiveness against someone else. So how can I take the cup of forgiveness from the Lord Jesus and not forgive someone else? Uh, you want to recompense evil to evil. You want to hurt them because they hurt you. And believe me, that goes on a lot in a church. And that is what Paul says. That is why there are many among you that are ill and sick and even dying before your time. Because you're contradicting the very grace that covers you. 
And if you're going to be legalistic, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, and get back at them as if God's grace is not enough to compensate you for your pain, but it's not good enough, you want skin from them, you want flesh from them, you are hurling condemnation on yourself and you're opening yourself up to the enemy. So he says, see that no one repays evil for evil. This is very serious. And he's talking to the body. So listen, folks, if you're talking to someone and they've got a bone to pick with someone, they got a gripe and they want to tell you how terrible and bad that other person is, you need to, by Paul's admonishment for peace in the church, you need to encourage them. Can I tell you, according to Matthew 18, if you have an offense with a brother, you need to go right with them. Let me help you take you there. Go that extra step, please, because they'll go, yeah, right, maybe I'll pray about it, and they'll never do it. But if you say, let's go, I'll be a witness with you, let's go talk to them, then they've got to figure out whether they're going to or not. Do you want me to call them and tell them to expect a call from you? No, <laughs> wait a minute, no, 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 no. Well, then I don't think you should be talking to me about this stuff. You need to settle this. And what we need to do, we need to care that much about each other because we're not realizing the spiritual ramifications of this. If we hold unforgiveness and bitterness towards someone else in the body, that is one part of the body rebelling against another part of the body. That creates a real spasm in the body of Christ and it opens the door to the enemy. So if you've got issue with somebody, go to them, please. And you're telling them that because you love them and you don't want them to suffer from that unforgiveness. All right? So he says, we need to interact. But you see, these are the reasons we stay away from church. Someone did admonish me and I got offended. And the leadership, they didn't look at me, so I got offended. They didn't say good morning to me. I got offended. They didn't remember this. Or, I, I, you know, no one's encouraging. No one's calling me. I was weak. Nobody helped me. Or they tried to help you and you're weak as well. You think I'm so weak I can't help myself? You can spend it 180 degrees. It just keeps going around. We all get so offended with each other, don't we? Church of snake handlers. We'll get bit. We'll get bit. It doesn't have to be that way. Let's, let's, let's work at this. And, and here's how he says we can accomplish this. <laughs> he says, you must be patient with them all. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's hard. He said you have to be patient with some of them. Is that what he said? No, he said you need to be patient with all of them. Now imagine that. I want you to, let me go back down that list that's here and consider the quality of Christians we're talking about. Admonish the unruly or idle. So you've got unruly Christians or idle Christians, faint-hearted, weak Christians, those who are easily distressed, and you've got those who are judgmental, wanting to pay back evil and evil. Hmm. Nice congregation you got there, Pastor. Judgmental people, weak people, faint-hearted people, and idle or unruly people in the church. Yeah. But see, here's the problem. We all have this idea that Christians should not be this way. So we have high expectations of everybody else's Christianity. I can't believe they said that to me because your expectation of every other Christian's here. But what about you? 
hey, I've got grace, thank God. God's given me grace. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. Yeah, well, right back at you for everybody else. Right? He said, you've got to be patient with everybody. Why do we have to be patient with everybody? Because we don't believe in reincarnation. We haven't been through this thing before. We don't know what we're doing. Okay, that was a joke. Okay, we... None of us have been at this level of our Christianity before, and God is going to get you to the next level, and you've never been to that level, so you're going to poke someone's eye, you're going to step on someone's toe, you're going to say the wrong thing, you're frustrated, you're weak, you're weary, you're in a trial, someone tries to help you, you bark back at them, they get offended, they tell someone else about you, you hear about that from somebody else that they talked about, now you're mad at them, now you're wounded and offended. Sounds like church. And so there's got to be a level of patience with all of us. We have got to understand, and, and, and you know, that high expectation, that sense that you're supposed to love me no matter what. Well, you know what? You were a jerk. And you did a really jerky thing. But I forgive you. And do you realize you were a jerk? Well, yeah, I, it really was. All right, we're cool. But I was mad at you. I know, that's all right. You see, we have this expectation. You shouldn't be mad at me. Never mad at me. No. I understand this. I offend you people. I offend people right and left all the time. You have an opinion about me. You wouldn't tell me. But that's okay. Everybody's got an opinion. I, I'm okay with that. Now, when you use that opinion to begin to tear someone down, now we're moving into sin. But you can have an opinion about people. And don't look at me like that. You all have opinions about people. That's why you're sitting where you're sitting. You moved. So you didn't have to sit somewhere else. No, I mean, let's be real about this, right? Let's be patient with each other. Let's work together. Consider this, guys. We've been hanging out together every Sunday and Wednesday for a long time. Am I right? Right? This is a cool thing. This is good. You see our best. You see our worst. You see us crying. You see us singing and happy and dancing. Let's, let's get past all this uh, superficial stuff and expectation and let's live together let's get real with each other and Paul says you've got to have unity I need you to do that you need to admonish you need to encourage you need to help it's like getting right in there with each other it's like oh this is tough but you need to have patience with each other patience with each other so the way this can happen is we have patience for everybody isn't it, isn't it funny how you have patience? We have patience with kids. Coffee hour kids are running everywhere. You have patience with them. Deal with these kids. Other kids. You know, deal with this person. Deal with that person. That person doesn't like do this. I don't like the way that person does that. Eh, we'll, we'll be patient. We'll work with them. Talk with them. Encourage them. Right? But it's the body that does it together. What has happened is everybody wants the pastor and leadership to do it. Sometimes we have to. But according to, to Jesus, you don't get to leadership levels till after you've done something about it. You with me? Can I hear a really good amen on that? Amen. All right, good. I need that encouragement. Thank you. Now, the next thing he says is this. Seek. Always seek to do good to one another. And then he throws this on top. And to everyone. Seek to do good. That means you are looking for an opportunity to do good for someone. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Can you imagine in your preparation to come to church, you're driving here and you're going, Lord, give me eyes to see how I can bless someone tonight. 
I want to bless someone. God, in worship, just show me someone that I could bless with an encouraging word. Or, or Lord God, I brought 10 extra bucks. Maybe someone's in hungry tonight. No, someone's in need. Show me someone tonight, Lord God. Show me. And, and uh, George, just keep my eyes open just in case. Something's, something's going on here. And, and you keep, I want to do good. I want to do good. I want to do good. And then he says, you're supposed to live your life like this every day. It's a treasure hunt every day for an opportunity to do something good to somebody. I can't wait for that. You know what? When you live like that, life is a blast. It's really. Guess what's the first thing you take your eyes off of when you're looking to do good? Hello. And, and, and I really try to encourage people when they're down in the dumps, when they're uh, depressed. Now, I understand the difference between clinically depressed and, and then just when you're low and this and that. Uh, when you're struggling, when you're getting through things. I understand the difference. But I can tell you the quickest remedy is to begin helping others. Because what happens is we get self-consumed in our sorrows and in our difficulties. So look to do good for somebody else, all right? And in that, you're going to find a great, great enjoyment, and this is going to bring peace. Now, how do you do this? (laughs) Come on, really, how do I admonish people, encourage people, help people, and make sure that those judging each other don't do it? How am I going to be patient with everybody, and how do I continually look to do good? He then gives you a list on how to do it, which is all based on the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do any of this based on our abilities, because our abilities only go so far. But the power of the Holy Spirit in us will equip us to do this. Now, verse by verse, he says, this is how you can accomplish this kind of peace in the church, in the body, so that you can do the things you need to do in interacting. Number one, you need to rejoice always. You need to have the spirit of rejoicing, a spirit of joy, spirit of joy. There are times you don't feel like it. I understand that. But you can have, in sorrow, you can have a rejoicing that God is sovereign. You may have lost someone so dear to you that you love so dearly, but you know God is in the midst of it and you can rejoice for that. Been there, done that. Who's been there and done that? You got that t-shirt. All right, you know what I'm talking about. So you have to have that regular sense of rejoicing. Secondly, you pray without ceasing. I can't get through the day without prayer. Prayer is like hiccups I can't get rid of. They just interrupt my thought. They interrupt my life. They interrupt what I'm doing. I just send one up to Jesus. Jesus, I don't have to send it up. That's a stupid statement. He's right here. He's in me. I just speak. Lord, hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. Lord, I love you. Lord, help me. Father, help me. Walk with me, Jesus. I mean, how many of you are in that every day? It's just you're in without ceasing. That's what he's, it's just an ever-presence, ever-present ever Lord. All right, he says, give thanks in all th- circumstances. Thanksgiving is essential. It is the barometer of your spirit. Thanksgiving, you need to give thanks in all things. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Give thanks at all times for all things. In all seasons, have a thankful heart. I can't think of anything to be thankful for. Well, start thanking God. You can't think of anything to be thankful for. I don't know. Look for something. There you go. Take a breath. Now you can thank God. Give thanks to God. Do not quench the Spirit because He's in all these things. He's doing all these things. Now He's speaking to the congregation. He's saying in the congregation, you want to be able to have this part of interaction and interactivity between you, then the congregation needs to know how to rejoice. 
need to know how to praise God and have rejoicing. The congregation needs to know how to pray without ceasing. We need to be a prayerful people. The congregation needs to know how to give thanks to God in all times and all things. The congregation should never quench the Holy Spirit because the clock says this or because your belly says that or because I want to move on now or because someone's climbing on the ceiling or, or there's a spider over there. I don't care. Don't quench the Spirit. Amen. Amen? So that's what he's saying. And then he goes on and he says, in the congregation, do not despise prophecies. Oh, there goes that guy. That guy gives a prophecy every week. Well, then you give a prophecy and, and start, get on board. You know, I, I love folks who, who complain about, the uh, same people give prophecies. You got a prophecy? Well, no. Well, anybody can prophesy. It's a prophecy. Anybody prophesy. Well, they say a lot of times the same kind of thing when they prophesy. Well, how many times have you told your wife or husband you love them? And she says, could I hear something different? <laughs> okay, uh, tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Uh, you know, people want something thrilling and exciting. What is prophecy for? Edification, exhortation, and comfort. The husband, the bridegroom, is speaking to his bride. What's he speaking? Love. He loves her. I love you. you oh, we heard that last week in a prophecy. <laughs> yeah. I hope you hear it the rest of your life, because half the time you doubt it, whether he loves you or not. You know, how about him? He'd love to move on too, but he can't convince you yet. All right, I'm, I'm going on. So don't despise prophecies. Hold fast to what is good. That means to cling. Cling to what is good. We have got to identify good. Half of us don't know what's good anymore. What is good? And so we have to find the good. And last of all, if you're clinging to good, what will you do? Then you'll abstain from evil. That's logic. If I pursue what's good, I don't have to worry about what's evil. Does that make sense to you? So as a church, let's pursue the high calling of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't have to mess around admonishing you to stop drinking and carousing. Because you're encouraged to go after the things of God. Does that make sense? All right. So all these things we conclude is that Paul's teaching on how to be a strong church, it's done by the Spirit among the people's interaction to accomplish the gospel as a burning light in this dark world. I hope that makes sense to you. It's the job we're all supposed to do together. Let's bow our heads and ask Jesus to do it. Amen.